Amen. Revelation 1 this morning we're going to look at. In this passage, you can read through Revelation in general, but especially the first few chapters. And you can kind of come to a place where you give up because you become confused about what is being said. Because we know that Revelation was written by the Apostle John. And the Apostle John was on the Isle called Patmos, which is right off the the coast of what is now modern-day Turkey and between Turkey and Greece. And it says, he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And God opens up his eyes. Just decades before, we read in the Bible that John was very close friends with Jesus. He was the one, according to John anyway, that Jesus loved. I think that might just be a little bit like when I'm writing something. I'm I'm Jesus' favorite, y'all. I just want to let you know. But it's amazing when you dig into this because decades before, Jesus was John's friend. He walked with him. He learned from Jesus. Jesus decades later now, has ascended to the right hand of the Father. So no longer is he just friend Jesus, but he's King Jesus. Because the, 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 John's eyes are open spiritually. I want to say about current events, we sometimes forget that it's first the Spirit and then the natural. What you see going on in the world, which I wake up every single day and say, how much crazier can it get anybody else besides me if you don't raise your hand you're not paying attention to what's going on around us because it's just it's really mind-boggling but i think that the church should really take an evaluation of what we're preaching and what we're saying and the truth that we're holding to because it's not a mean-spirited church that's going to change the world but it's a church filled with god's power that's going to change the world it's a church that holds to some truths that I think that we, and I mentioned this last week, but I really do think that we as a church want to be accepted by culture when God always said, you're supposed to be the counterculture to what's going on in the world. But we've allowed compromise into the church. We've allowed uh, even leadership to operate in compromise and people operate in compromise. And, And John has a revelation, and I just as a side note, it's revelation. There's no S on revelation, y'all, okay? Just, yeah. So I tell you to turn to Revelation 1, it's no S on it. Because it's one whole revelation. And listen to me, it's not a revelation of how much evil there is in the world. It's a revelation of our King Jesus. Amen. That's what it is. It's a revelation of His power and His authority. And whether you understand or know this now or not, Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and earth. So when we read this, sometimes you can come back and say that, that I'm confused by Revelation. We're certainly not going to go deep, deep into this. And I've said this before, and I'll say it probably a thousand more times. The study of the end times is something called eschatology. And eschatology is a long word that just simply means people are really well versed in the charts and the timelines and things like that. I have studied the end times. I've studied eschatology. And Matthew 24 will answer some questions Wednesday night if you'd like to come back. But for this morning, I really felt strongly put on my heart to jump into Revelation 1 and to talk about the churches that existed in Jesus's, when Jesus gave this revelation to John. He's talking to the churches. Church, there's nothing more important in the day that we live in, Frank, is that we hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. That we hear what God is speaking to the church. I'm not interested in what man's speaking. I'm not interested in anybody's opinions in the day we live in. I'm interested in what Jesus is saying. And be assured that Jesus is speaking to his church. So we're going to look at uh, Revelation 1, verse 20 here. 
and we're going to break this down this morning, and I'm going to teach for a little bit, of just kind of putting some handles on the times and days that we live in. In the first few chapters in the vision John begins with is Jesus' involvement in the church. We're going to talk about how Jesus is deeply involved, not just in your marriage, not just in your personal life, not just in the world, but he is involved in his church. Because I want to remind all of us this morning, we are his church. We are his people called by his name. And don't be surprised in the future if by being called by that name, Jesus said so himself very plainly. That there would actually come a time when people would kill believers thinking they're doing God a favor. Are you guys ready for some some word this morning? Amen. Look at Revelation verse 1. Revelation chapter 1 verse 20. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand in the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Now stop there and just look back this way real quick. The word angel there is translated angel, but it literally means messenger. Most scholars and most theologians believe, including myself, that the seven lampstands are symbolic of the churches that existed in that day. There were seven cities where the church, we we forget this, but 1,500, 1,600, 1,700 years ago, the center of Christianity is what is today modern-day Turkey. Now, it's a Muslim nation now, but back then it was a strong, powerful Christian area where these seven churches that had been planted and were thriving and winning their communities and doing all these things, he's talking to the churches and he's talking to the messengers of the church which most scholars agree he's, he's talking to the pastors, the leaders of the church and the churches that existed in that day. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I bow your heads and let's pray and ask for the help. For Lord, we ask for your help today. Lord Jesus, I pray that as I minister your word from here in Revelation, that, Lord, you are pointing us towards the, the return of yourself, God, where you will set up your earthly kingdom. I pray today that anything said of me would fall by the wayside, but whatever said under the unction and leading and anointing of your Holy Spirit, precious Holy Spirit, would you take this word and plant it in our hearts that in the days of head, We can walk with endurance, patience, and joy, hope, and faith, God. And no matter what is around the corner, God, you know, and you take care of your people. Help us with your word today. Minister to our hearts. Challenge us today, Holy Spirit, that we could lay aside every weight and sin that so easily besets us. And, God, you're calling your church to be dedicated to you, holy and afresh. You're calling your church to run after you anew, God, today. Refresh our hearts and help us today hear your word in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. It stops by saying in that scripture that I wanted to focus on, and I've got many more, so just stay in the book of Revelation and we'll look at those today. But do you believe Jesus knows all the things that you do? That's what it ends by saying. I know the things that you do. Now, it's interesting because in the culture and day we live in, we have a saying that says, well, Jesus knows my heart, right? But it says in Revelation in the first two, three chapters that Jesus isn't just looking at our hearts. Jesus is looking at what we're doing. Amen? Amen. So it behooves us to study scripture like this in regards to the end times of of what's going on around us and all the things 
And I mentioned this before, but this area here, let me just teach for a minute. This area here is modern-day Turkey. And if you rewind about 1,500 years ago, this was the most powerful Christian area in the world. And what you may not know is, is if you look at a map of this area and the churches that Jesus is speaking to and having John on the Isle of Patmos to begin to write the revelation of the end times. Now, the end times is important to understand that there was a direct fulfillment to the people that John was writing to in that day, according to Babylon and the Roman Empire. And there was a direct fulfillment, and then there was a fulfillment that will come during the end place and end times that will directly fulfill this. But when he, when he writes these, he's actually going from left to right to the known churches in the day. And he starts here with Ephesus, he begins to work his way back, and Jesus has a message for his church, which means... That God is speaking to His people here in Revelation. And I want to tell you today that God is speaking to His people now. The question is, do we have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying? In in other words, what, what He's doing is He's giving the churches a review, right? We live in a review culture, don't we? We do. We, we review everything. This drives my wife absolutely crazy. But anytime we're in a new place, I've got to look up and see what other people said about the place, right? She's like, oh, come on. I'm like, Leah, if, if 500 people said this place is bad, it's probably not good and I'm not going. If 500 people said that this is one of the best places they've eaten, I'm going to go. Because we live in a review culture, not just uh, restaurants and things, but I'm also the type that likes to know what other people thought about a movie. Because if I'm going to shell out 14 bucks or whatever it is nowadays, I'm go- I want to because I learned something about my friends really quickly. They don't dislike anything. That's a great quality in some regards, but in others, you want to know before you shell out that money, hey, because we have one friend in particular, I, we ask her all the time, hey, what do you think about every, oh, I, that was my favorite movie I've ever seen, and it's the worst thing that I've ever laid my eyes on. I'm talking about PG movies, right? Okay? All right, all right. We're talking about Revelation. Let's just, let's just settle that right now. But Jesus is going to give a review. How many, how many would invite and say, Jesus... I want you to review what's going on in my life. Jesus, I want you to review what's going on in our church. I can't speak for all the other churches in Citrus County or even in this area, but I am the pastor of Christian Center Church, and I want to know what Jesus is reviewing. I want to know what Jesus says about my marriage, not what the world says about my marriage, right? I want to know what Jesus is saying about the context of the people, because here in Revelation 1, we see very clearly... That Jesus is right in the midst of his people. He's right in the midst of his holy church. And he's speaking to them about the things that they've done well, the things that they need to work on. Because you see some churches that we're going to look at this morning, some of them got nothing but a rebuke. Some of them got praised and then, and then scolded. And then, and then told a command of how to fix the problem. How many know Jesus isn't just going to tell you what the problem is? Jesus is going to tell you how to fix it. And, and, and you can get really confused about this because when you read these and see what the rewards are, I mean, you start getting into manna and a white stone with a new name on it and all these different things that we can read through and we can get kind of confused. My desire today wholeheartedly is to simplify what is being said here because if we don't simplify it, then we can't apply it to our lives. Amen? 
So this actually what may seem confusing is really simple. And Jesus speaks to his church. Jesus corrects his church. Jesus corrects his family. He corrects his people. And it behooves us to see what Jesus said so that we can uh, uh, apply it to our lives this morning and to make a turn if we need to away from the things of the world and to focus on the things of God. Amen? Amen. Listen, it doesn't matter what other people think. If the king of glory gives you a bad review, that's, he's the only review that matters. Amen? Amen. We get, again, we get so caught up in the reviews and paying attention to them, but I think we as the people of God have tried so hard to fit in with our culture that we finally come to the conclusion that we were never supposed to fit in with the culture. We're supposed to be countercultural. That's what I talked about last week, and I, I, I think if we quit having the mindset that we need to change the world and just simply be the part of the world that Jesus has already changed, we would probably have a lot more success. Because you are the redeemed of God. You are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, people called out of darkness into His glorious light. But we've tried so hard to be cool, church, that we forgot that there are convictions that we are to have culturally. That I used to think that people kind of knew the difference between good and evil. Guess what, honey? You're not living in a world that people know the difference between good and evil. And we used to have our pulpits preach our conscience, but we wanted to be cool and hip, and we didn't want to offend anybody, bless God. Well, let me say, I would rather offend the culture than God. I would rather be a person who stands on the truth, but I've been telling you for weeks, I've been telling you for years, this world is going to grow increasingly hostile to people who hold the biblical truth. It's going to become increasingly hostile to those who say, and every time I preach to you guys, I make sure that I tell you, and I'm going to get to this more in depth in a minute, because one of the things that the churches started to lose when they were going through hardship, when they were going through persecution, and church, I don't make any bones about this, we in this country are not under persecution yet. Are you hearing me? And I've traveled all over this world. Many years ago, we were flying back from Egypt doing ministry, and I have a Bible school roommate that was based in uh, Amsterdam, and our layover was in Amsterdam, so we just delayed it for like 48, 72 hours, like three days. So we went and spent time with him, and it was one of my first times in Europe, so Leah and I, a lot of times, a lot of stuff we did, I look at Leah today, and I'm like, what were we thinking? <laughs> what? We ran an orphanage? What were we thinking? 32 kids basically by ourselves. What were we thinking? This was another one of those what were we thinking moments because we just put our luggage in a locker, put on backpacks, and we just wandered into Amsterdam, right? We are just like, hey, we're here. And he was, he was picking us up the next morning. So we flew in. We put our backpacks on. It was drizzling rain. It was kind of cold there in, in Amsterdam and probably would have been in the fall, wouldn't it? Probably October, November. And this is years ago. But one thing that struck me, is uh, being a student of church history, I've looked back and how many incredible theologians and scholars and how the very, some of the very foundations of the very same things that we teach and believe today came out of this area of Europe. And to be there just in probably would have been 2005 or six, probably, to go and walk around that city and realize that most of the churches have been turned into bars. Most of the churches have been turned, in other words, we look at Europe and see what's going on in Europe. Where does it say in the Bible that those things couldn't take place right here? This message is not to scare you. My job as a leader is to define reality according to the Word of God. 
In reality, according to the word of God, as we see here in Revelation 1, is Jesus is talking to his people because his people were getting weary of enduring the hardship. Now, what brought the hardship? We talked about it last week, just a small recap. What brought the hardship? The hardship was the people of the day, the Roman Empire, the Roman authorities looked at the people of God and said, it's great that you want to worship this Jesus, but why don't you just take a little pinch of incense and offer it to Caesar or offer it to this idol or offer it. And the world and the devil knows how to bring things full circle. And it's the same thing going on today that was going on all those all those. Uh, 2,000 years ago, is the enemy just wants us to have a little bit of worship over here for the culture and just a little bit of worship over here from God. Let me tell you something this morning. Half-hearted Christianity is not going to bring you all the way to the end. It's not going to do it. And, and, and you're like, man, Pastor, what's going on? I'm telling you, I've never felt a drive more in my life to tell a group of people, you need to be radically in love with Jesus. You need to be radical for him. You need to follow him with all your heart. There doesn't need to be a mixture in your life of my foot's over here in the world and my foot's over here in, in God's kingdom in the church. It's time to wake up and realize the days that we're living in are very serious, but God's power is stronger than anything we could face. Amen? So what we see here in Revelation is Jesus is standing amongst these seven churches and he essentially gives them all a review. Now listen to this. It's important. It's the grace of Jesus that gives the churches the review halfway through their time on earth. And when I say halfway, what I mean is it's the grace of God that would come and speak to us about something we need to correct. Amen? Amen. It's God's grace that halfway through. I want you to see that because God, Jesus isn't rebuking them for the sake of coming down on them. Jesus is, is, has rebuke for his church and for his people because he knows that if they don't separate themselves from these things, it's going to cost something in the future. And I think God is here in the end of 2023, heading into 2024. Jesus gives us a review. And what I want to say to this church is, Lord, we welcome that. I welcome that in my marriage. I welcome that in my family. I welcome that in my life. I welcome that certainly as pastor of this church. Is I, want, I don't want to know what everybody else thinks. I want to know what Jesus thinks. And I want, there's something I want you to notice about everything that's written here. And you can get overwhelmed and confused as you read this. But everybody say four parts. Four parts. I'm going to break this down into four parts because that's how it's broken down. Every church that he, he is he's writing to, John's dictating, this is what I want you to say to my messengers. This is what I want you to say to my church. I'm standing in the midst of my seven lampstands. Seven is a number you see all through Revelation. It's a number of completion. It's a number of perfection. So I really think that if Jesus were to write letters to the church today, these are some of the same elements that would be, especially for the American church. But the first part, and everybody say praise. praise. He gave them praise. The second part is he gave them a rebuke. Everybody say rebuke. rebuke. Yes, Jesus rebukes. Then he followed up the rebuke with a command. Everybody say command. command. And then he followed up with a reward. Everybody say reward. reward. We're going to get to the reward part here in just a minute. But th- every one of these churches was broken down. Some he rebuked and he didn't give any praise. Some he praised and then he corrected. Some he just praised. But in every one, he gave them a command, and he also explained the reward that they would get. I want to tell you something today, church, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but I want to make this crystal clear. There is a reward for following Jesus. 
there is a reward for standing up against the lies of a culture that would try to pull us away from the truth of God's word. And Jesus is a a king who rewards. So the first point today is this. The king knows all the things we do. See, I believe Jesus is very aware of CCC. I believe that Jesus is very aware of our heart. He's very aware of our desire. He's very aware that we cover this area in prayer. He's very aware that we're interceding and believing for a revival that's that's not cooked up by man, that's sent down by God. He's right up in the mix of everything that he is doing on the earth. And we just constantly say as a church, and I hope this is your prayer along with your pastor and those who pray the same thing. Jesus, we want you in the middle of everything that we do. We don't want this move to be about a church or a name. We want it to be about lifting up the name of Jesus. And Jesus is very aware of everything going on here. And I find it interesting in Revelation 2, 2, 2, 19, 3, 15... 3, eight, he says this, I know your deeds. Because we're fond of saying, well, Jesus just knows my heart. Jesus is looking at your actions also. Look, when Jesus is all up in the mix, it produces the fear and the reverence of God in us individually and in us corporately. Mm-hmm. That's the place the church needs to get back to. Amen? Amen? It says the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. And you may say, wait a second. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And you are absolutely correct. 365 times in the Bible, and I think this is awesome, it says, fear not. One for every day of the year. It's like a prescription that you can take. In Matthew 24, and I'll talk about it more, right there in the middle of Jesus explaining everything that's going to happen immediately in 70 AD when Jerusalem is toppled and all the temples torn down and the Jews are dispersed from then until 1948. It's a long time, isn't it? 70 AD to 1948. It's a long period of time. Jesus is prophesying about this, but he says right in the middle of it, don't panic. Church, if the world looks at us as anything, it's us who know what's going on when we look around. It's those who can turn on the news and say, wow, Jerusalem's still the center of everything going on. And it has been for thousands of years. And we can look around and and understand this principle here that Jesus is saying to his people, don't panic, don't worry. But I do want you to be focused on what is going on Mm -hmm. and to bring this full circle. Number two this morning, and here it is. We are set free from comparison. Everybody say comparison. When you understand that it's Jesus that is watching, when it's Jesus that is the one who can either give you praise or he can give you correction or he can lead you to a place where you're more free than what you came in here today, it, it sets us free from comparison. Church, we compare ourselves with people all the time. We compare ourselves with other churches. But knowing that Jesus is the one that sees your life sets you free from comparing us to other people, even in a good or bad way, because a lot of times we say, well, I know that my life isn't exactly the way you want it, God, but what about this person over here, right? Because we compare. Listen, Jesus in these scriptures frees the churches and frees us from a comparison trap. Why and how? Because, church, other people's opinions don't matter when you have the approval of King Jesus. He's letting His people know, hey, I know what the world's saying about you, but let me tell you what your King says about you. So comparison can 
can be killed in our lives because, listen, comparison kills. We're always comparing ourselves with others. It also sets us free from criticism. Everybody say criticism. Look, we all enjoy affirmation. Everybody enjoys. It's like my pastor used to say, every good dog needs a little pat on the head every so often. Amen? And we're no different. We like affirmation. We like to know, and it has its place. But knowing that Jesus sees and knows can help us not fall into a trap where we're living more of a life to not be criticized of others' opinions, and we focus on the only opinion that matters. Listen, we are too easily caught up in trying to be like the world, but listen, the world that we live in, listen to your pastor for just a few minutes, comparison and criticism are things that Jesus very well understood that when we begin to be criticized for standing on biblical truth, it is perfectly natural to just shrink back and to say, well, I'll just believe this all by myself. The church, we are not called to just believe things by ourselves. We are called to stand on God's truth. We are called to stand for things that the culture would say and look at because, church, we are in the world, but we're not of the world. And we're living in a day, I'm defining reality for everybody in this room that calls this church home, okay? We're living in a day where people are no longer ambivalent about God, but people are actually starting to blame God for the evil that's in the world. Have you noticed that? It's no longer just, ah, let the Christians be the Christians. It's it's no longer just, just let them believe what they want to believe. They're actually, and it's all through the Bible. Look at Elijah. He wins a great victory for God. The, the false prophets are, are the firefalls, and the false prophets are put to death. And he goes walking into King Ahab and, and Queen Jezebel's uh, throne room. And as soon as he walks in, Jezebel looks at him and says, Ah, the troubler of Israel. Do you realize we're living in a day when people are starting to look and say, Ah, oh, it's the Christians, right? That's all over the world. Why can't you be tolerant? Listen, I don't tolerate what God said that we should not tolerate. We we are not the people because we are in the world. We're not of the world. Amen? And this is what he's saying to the churches. He's saying, churches, I want to to remind you that if you're worried about uh, criticism or you're worried about comparison, if you're worried about these things... Let me remind you that there's only one opinion that matters, and it's mine as king of the universe. It's mine as king of glory. In Malachi 3, verse 7, the scripture was so strong on my heart. It says, Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But they ask, How have we left you? And this is the problem. In the absence of biblical conviction and truth, we are wrong when we think we're right. In the absence of biblical conviction and biblical truth, and I don't point the finger at anybody sitting in this room, I'm pointing it at our pulpits this morning. You hear me? I'm pointing it at people who think that God changes. God does not change. His standard does not change. His his, his things that He gave us to put fence around us, to bless us and to keep us safe, it has not changed, church. Paul speaking to a Roman Empire that had everything they ever wanted, he said this, and I think this is where I'm at this morning, is I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. 
So Jesus frees us from criticism. My point is this. If you're going to be criticized for standing on truth, just let it roll off your back because his opinion is the only one that matters. If you're going to be uh, not invited to the reindeer games because you've taken a stand saying, you know what, I don't agree with the way the world is heading, then so be it because I would rather be right in God's estimation and wrong in the world's estimation. Listen, if you aren't careful, this culture, the current culture, because, again, I I wake up and look at it, and I'm like, this is absolutely crazy. And so I have to point myself back to places like Revelation to get a bearing on what's going on. And I mentioned it just a few minutes ago, but we need to understand that everything that's happening around you is a spiritual battle going on. It's a spiritual battle. So we have spiritual weapons to fight this battle. And those those things aren't... uh, you know, coming after people. It's coming after the spirit that's causing these things. Number three this morning, we are set free from needing compliments. Everybody say compliments. Listen, we can be set free from needing the, 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 of standing against criticism, but we can also, listen, if you live your life just so people can compliment you, you're going to be disappointed real quick. I, some of the best advice I ever got was from uh, Pastor John Kilpatrick. And he, he said, he said, guys, preachers, you guys are going to be preachers. He said, you're never as good as they say you are, and you're never as bad as you, they say you are preaching. You're somewhere in between. Because even as preachers, we can get caught up in compliments and things like that. So we can be free from criticism. We can be free from compliments. And seven times he said in the passages, I know. Aren't you glad that he knows? And then he, he sets them up with that, and then everybody say praise. He gave them praise. He told them what they were doing right. And here's what he he praised them for. In each of the instances, and this this is something that we need to grab a hold of this morning. He praised them for endurance. Everybody say endurance. That may surprise you as much as it surprised me studying it. But he praises endurance. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Philadelphia... They were in persecution, and they were being persecuted by the world. And again, I don't want to assign some kind of persecution that isn't there. I'm not that type of a person. But we are living in times when it's becoming increasingly unpopular to really live the gospel and stand up for what we believe is truth. We're living in times where it's becoming increasingly unpopular to stand on God's biblical truth. And I want to tell you this. When we do take a stand... Guess who's pleased by that? Jesus. And I want to please Him. But if I'm living for the praises of man, if I'm living to be accepted by the world, if I'm living because I'm afraid somebody may think that, man, He's just a little bit too religious and a little bit too out there. Listen, if you're worried about all these things, you need to repent of that and understand that God wants His people completely focused on Him. So he's walking among his church, he's walking amongst the lampstands, he's speaking to the stars he's holding in his right hand, he's speaking to the messengers, but he says this, he praised them who endured hardship. Listen, life just kept getting more difficult and they just kept on pressing through. Things around them became more difficult because the world was finally saying, wait, you're affecting culture way too much, so we're going to put a stop to this and we're going to begin to persecute you and come against you. And again, it's not people, it's the spirit behind. If you read the book of Revelation, it says the dragon has come down with great wrath to make war against the people of God. 
That is what is ahead. That is what is coming. You guys are like, man, I came to church today. (laughs) It's important that we understand this church. It's important that we understand that this world that we live in is becoming increasingly, increasingly hostile to what is truth. We're living in days where they're calling good evil and evil good. And it's a natural inclination for us to say, yeah, did God really say that I shouldn't be living with somebody and sleeping with them? Yes, honey, he did. Okay? Did God really say that that he wants me to be completely... Here's why God wants us to be completely sold out to him. Because he knows that we have to endure times where we look around us and we don't really know and understand what what, what in the world's going on. And we have to keep on trusting God. You say, I I read Revelation, I'm like, okay, Lord, if they were persecuted, then why didn't you just come against those people and send an army of angels and destroy the persecution? God, if they were being ostracized, why didn't you do this? God, if they were dealing with, with physical things because the enemy was coming against them, why didn't you just heal them? Listen to me. There's something we read in Revelation where we need to understand that God is glorified when we patiently endure hostility, trials, sickness, difficulties. There's an enduring in us, and I've been preaching this for months if you've been listening to me. The people of God need to get some grit down on the inside. We do. Who is it that we need to have? We need to have trust in God that no matter what it looks like, that He is going to come through for His people. He's telling them over and over again to endure. Jesus cares about your endurance. He cares about you pressing on when things get tough. He cares about you shaking yourself awake, so to speak, spiritually ever so often and say, man, where's the enemy gotten a foothold in my life? And listen, repent of it and get back right with Jesus because this is not a time to be living half in and half out. He praises endurance. And there's a patient endurance to our faith that brings glory to God. Let me give you an example. Because, church, when we step into eternity, I can assure you that a lot of things that don't make sense are going to make sense. I promise you that. It's going to make sense. Because He gives them them praise, most of the churches. He praised them. Then He corrected them. Jesus is all about correction. Amen? Amen? If you have an image of God that He's just going to pat you on the head and say, go live any way that you want, that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Grace isn't just covering your sin. Grace enables you to conquer sin in your life. It's a power word. But when He gets down to the rewards, I love God's economy because, and there's a lot of people who speculate what the 10 days meant for one church. He said, if you endure persecution for 10 days, then you will reign with me for a thousand years. I love God's economy. Amen? Amen. When we step into eternity, we're going to be amazed at staying faithful to God, to Jesus, and His truth. No matter what, everybody else can say, I'm not following Jesus anymore. And we have to step back and say, though none go with me, still I will follow. My family may believe error, and my family may have walked away from Jesus, and I have to endure this, and I have to go through it, because in God's economy, if you stay faithful for this short a time, you'll reign with Him for eternity. Eternity. We need God to stamp eternity on our eyes that we wake up every single day and we say, like Leonard Ravenhill said, are the things that I'm living for worth Christ dying for, church? 
Or the things that you wake up in the morning and focus on, are they about Him or are they about so you can get ahead in this world? Are they about Him or is it so you can have a little more comfort in this world? Is it about Him or is it so that you can do what you want to do? Because church, that model has not affected our culture. And if we don't wake up and start to stand on God's truth, I am I am thoroughly convinced that the generation coming up behind us, if we continue to water down the gospel, they're not going to want to serve Jesus and the gospel because they're looking for something to give their very life into. But we want cool church. We do. We, we, want it. we want you to come in and feel comfortable and feel cool. Listen to me. That is not going to change the world. We have to endure. We have to understand that God has a great heavenly reward, but there are some things that you're going to have to press through this morning to get to the other side of it. Amen? So Jesus is giving them a review and He is saying and praising, He's praising them for endurance. He's praising them for growing right in the midst of persecution. And then He also is praising them for staying pure. Everybody say pure. Pure. Jesus wants you to be a pure, spotless bride without spot or wrinkle. I figured that would go over really well. I did. Jesus cares about the purity of His bride. Jesus cares about the things that, again, we think, oh, nobody knows. Jesus knows. And this goes for this man standing right here before you because far from perfect. But I feel stirring in my heart. I feel stirring in my spirit. I feel stirring in the church that there is a remnant that God is raising up. There is a remnant that God... And some of you are right there on that line. You're like, man, I, I like this church for the last eight months, but I'm, he's starting to get a little radical. I'm out the door. Listen, I want to encourage you. Don't stick with the person or a church. Stick with the Word of God. And if you're in a place that's not preaching the Word of God, get out. Because the culture has infiltrated the church and and the church has gotten so far off of true north that we need to reorient ourselves. And places like Revelation are the perfect place to do it because 2,000 years from when Revelation was written, we have a misguided thinking that God doesn't really care what's going on in the world and He certainly doesn't really care what's going on in the church. He cares and He's looking and He's speaking and it says that the, the eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the whole entire earth seeking those who will stand in the gap. What's the gap? People and God. And He wants a people that will intercede and, 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 and go after God with all their heart because those are the type of people that can change and see a community revive. Now it's time for the rebuke. Can you all handle this? All right. Just checking. Here's the first thing. You're not going to say preacher here in just a second. Okay? <laughs> You know the first thing that he rebuked them for? They, they lost their love. That's why I've, been, I've, I've had on my heart to continually, all the way back from the middle of the summer, I always bring it back around and, and, and point the church to what is countercultural about. Listen, if you just want to stand on the street corner and yell at everybody about the sin in their life, guess what? There ain't nobody listening. No. Are you hearing me? Yeah. We can love people and stand on truth. He was telling the church, the very first thing he said, and right here, if you want to look at it, it's in Revelation 2.4. Our love leaks. My love leaks. Do you leak love sometimes? You say, man, I love everybody, and then two days later, you had a bad day at work, the kids are <laughs> sick, and the dog ran off, and, and you're like, man, this, this love thing. 
because we leak. Revelation 2.4. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Tell them to turn and do the first thing, the most important thing. Because this church, anger is not going to change the world. The love of God is going to change the world. It's the truth. Because if you look around you, what is waxing cold in our culture, in the world, is everybody hates each other. This man standing before you hates no one. Because that's what the devil and the culture wants to do. They want, they, listen, they want to put you in one or two places that, that if you really disagree with somebody's lifestyle, then, man, you've just got to let them have it. If you disagree with the way somebody, listen, I'm not here to, I can't change you. I cannot change you. The Word of God can. The truth of His Word in the Spirit of the Holy Spirit convicting your heart, that can change you. But it says very plainly all throughout this that they would lose love. The second thing they, they lost was passion. Everybody say passion. passion. Revelation 3, verses 1 and 2. Write this letter to the angel of the church of Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold Spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do and that you have a rep- reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up! Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. They had lost passion. They had lost love. Then he, the, the next thing he reboots, the loss of concern. That's the church of Laodicea. They're the ones that say, I'm neither hot nor cold. In other words, I have everything that I need. They lost compassion for those who didn't have. And, and listen, this is the halftime review of Jesus and his church. He tells them, you've lost your love, you've lost your compassion, you've lost your concern, and then he deals with them tolerating false teachers. He re- rebukes tolerating false teachers. Now, in the passages in the first several chapters of when he's talking to the churches, there's two main false teachings that Jesus deals with, and they're the same two false teachings that, that uh, are in the church today, in my opinion. I don't think there's anything new under the sun. The devil still has the same schemes. He still has the same way that he comes against his church, the church. He still has the same way that he comes against the people of God. And the first one that he deals with is somebody named Balaam. Everybody say Balaam. Balaam. And interestingly enough, Balaam was a prophet that was hired by the enemies of God to curse the people of God. They said, you're a prophet, we're going to pay you money, and we want you to come up on the side of this hill, and all the Israelites and all the Jewish people, we can't defeat these people because God's blessing is upon them. I want to tell you something this morning, church. When God's blessing is upon you, no devil in hell can change what God said about who you are and what he did and, and, and the, the, the ultimate ending of a person of God when they're blessed by God. Because here's the story. Balaam couldn't. Curse the people of God. He got with those. He got with uh, the enemies of Israel, and they're standing up there. And he's like, "I can't." What do you mean you can't? I can't curse what God has blessed. And they try again and again. They're like, "No, curse him, curse." He's like, "I can't." Listen to me, real quick. And this is why he brings up Balaam. This is why he brings it up. It's about to get heavy. I can feel it. I can feel it. He couldn't defeat them through a prophet, a real prophet, cursing the people of God. They were paying him to do it. 
until. And so the enemy knows us very well. Amen? So if you read the whole entire story, it wasn't until sexual sin entered into the camp of God's people. So if the devil can't get you through the front door, he's going to come around the back. If the enemy can't just blatantly get you to to do something over here, listen, if we want to see the power of God and what Jesus is speaking to the church today, we need to understand that sexual sin is something that will bring curses upon the church and God's life. Pulpits, pastors that are sleeping around with other people, it's sin. If you feel like that it's okay with God that you just go out and shack up with whoever you want, it is sin. Are you hearing me this morning? I didn't say that. The Word of God says that. Because we live in a culture that says do whatever feels good. And God is on the other side in His Word saying, I will empower you to live for me. Now, if you've lived in that way or you're even here this morning and say, man, I've been living wrong. Listen, you can repent and get right with God this morning. Because he warns them of the doctrine of Balaam. And the doctrine of Balaam, in my opinion, is through the story when God's people are really following God and we we shun everything of the world and get the junk out of our lives, the enemy cannot defeat us. But what he will do is try to bring in the worship of idols. Y'all, what is the biggest idol in our culture, America, today? It's sex. Are you hearing me? It is. When did we ever... Oh, Lord, help me right now. Help me. Help me. I said it last week. The, The enemy is setting up idols... And he's even, he's even enticing Christians to come bow down at the, at the idol of sex and sexuality and what our culture sees as virtuous and what our culture sees as the things that we should emulate and lift up. Literally, it's setting up an idol and it's calling everybody to come. You worship down. But I want some, some Daniels. Amen? I want some people that say, hey, we're going to stand on God's truth, not what the culture says. But my point is, is that whenever the church has actually done that and started living for the things of God and the ways of God, whenever that's happened, I'm telling you, we are going to be blamed for the problems. Uh We're going to be the ones that are blamed for everything going on. I know how the enemy works. Amen? So he talks about the doctrine of Balaam, and then he talks about the woman Jezebel. Here, I'm going to go a different different path. Many of you that read the Bible are like, I know exactly what he's going to say. You don't. Here's why. The Balaam, the Balaam doctrine was a, a, a doctrine of greasy grace that got into the church back all the way 2,000 years ago. You say, what is greasy grace? Greasy grace is where you say, I'm just going to pat you on the head and you just go off and live however you want. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not the truth of God's word. So Jesus is rebuking and he's telling them, watch out for these. this is this entered into the church because we know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. But can I tell you what else works spiritually is, is if a little sin leavens the whole lump, then if people can get right with God and be in an area, it leavens the whole area. 
It's the reason I go out into this community and we go out and we tell people the truth of God's Word. God loves you just the way you are, but He wants to save you and change you from glory to glory. So the doctrine of Balaam and then the doctrine of Jezebel was just as insidious because she was... Jezebel had idols and witchcraft that she operated by. So the the doctrine of Jezebel or the spirit of Jezebel would come into a church and you may think, oh, that's enticing men to to do something sexual or whatever. It's not just that. It was the deep truths. Everybody say deep truths. They'll say it like this, deep truths. Can I tell you that if we get off of the simplicity that's in the... Because I've heard this so many times. Yeah, brother, they just... you know, Be careful of somebody that's so deep that you don't even have a clue what they're saying. Can we all agree on that? And Jesus is actually rebuking this spirit in the church because these people said... This people over here said, it's okay. Well, You want to go off and sleep with 12 people? Go ahead. God's okay with it. No! Listen to me. And then on the opposite side, you had people telling the people of God, well... They're just really simple. If I stand up here and say, hey, if, if, you're, if, if, you're, if your TV is causing you to sin or your computer, you can't quit clicking on pornography, get rid of the computer. Yeah. And then everybody in the world would say, there's a pastor in Homosassa that says to get rid of electronics and computers. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. There's a period of time in my household where I had to look at my family and say, I'm sorry you can't have internet. Dad can't control himself. Come on. I'm telling you the truth. Because I would rather go into heaven with one eye and one hand. And that is an analogy. It's hyper- You understand Jesus? Well, you guys are like, I'm going to cut my hand off, Pastor Seti. So the two doctrines that, that wrecked them was a doctrine that, that didn't understand what grace is. Grace isn't just the covering of your sin. Grace is the conquering of sin in your life. It's an empowering. And church, if we could get a hold of that, guess what's going to come back to the church? The fear of the Lord. You say, oh wait, you said 365 times a, a year it says fear not. I'm saying that Jesus said, don't fear the one that can destroy the body. Fear the one that can destroy body and soul. The fear of the Lord is a deep reverence of God as the ultimate power, not the devil. All this is going on in the world and all the things that are popping up and all the things that we could be fearful of, I am not a single bit afraid of it because my God said in the book of Revelation, I'm coming back and I'm putting it all straight. And you won't have to guess those that are for me and those that are against me because there will be wheat and there will be tares. There is a narrow path that leads to life and there is a broad path that leads to destruction. And the doctrine of Jezebel was one that just looked at people and said, yeah, they're just simple. They're just simple home assassin Pentecostal people. Listen, if I'm a simple home assassin Pentecostal person, praise God because I'm on my way to heaven and I'm living for Jesus and I'm standing on the truth of what He says and not what people say. I've seen it so many times. Listen, if, if you go to a place and you can't understand what they're even saying, because of the simplicity of the gospel is a man hung on a tree for my wickedness and your wickedness and paid a price in blood that we may be right with God because of the precious blood of the Lamb Jesus Christ. Well, that pastor, he can't really teach revelation. He's just telling you a bunch of simple stuff. I am telling you something simple. If you want to know how to get to heaven, follow Jesus with all your heart. Get the sin out of your life. Quit compromising with other people. Quit going to places that you know you shouldn't go. Amen? Amen. If you're hooked on pornography, turn your internet off. 
Well, I can't function in the world without internet. Yes, you can. Come on. This whole thing boils down to a man hanging on the cross and the price that he pays. Because, because bless God, the pastor Jason is just not deep enough. Just not deep enough. I'm going to go somewhere deeper. And as I pondered this, listen to me. If I, as I pondered Jesus' halftime report to the churches in Revelation, as I pondered this, I want to tell you something, CCC. CCC, you are amazing. You are amazing. And I want to tell you this. I said it a couple years ago, but I felt it on my heart again this week. You're doing a whole lot better than you think. Are you hearing me? You're do, you are amazing because I'm with a bunch of people that isn't just going to listen to what I say today. You're going to search it. You're going to go after it. You're going to look into it yourself. You're not going to just believe it because somebody up here says it. And I encourage you not to do that. You're amazing in the fact that you want to live for God, you want to stand for God, and you want to see a community change for God. Amen? You're filled with love. You're stepping out in faith. I see so much growth. This sermon today isn't a sermon of rebuke for me. It's a sermon of warning that we should constantly, in the day and age that we live in, evaluate how culture has seeped into our families, has seeped into our lives. I don't care if people call me narrow-minded. I don't care if people call me those kind of things. Hell's hot and heaven's real. And it says, he who endures all the way to the end shall be saved. It's not how you start, honey. It's how you end. And Jesus was telling the people in that day that you need to endure. You need to keep pressing on. You need to keep believing the truth of God's Word. So then he comes to the commands. Church, there are rewards for living for God. Stand with me this morning. We got baptisms. Folks are being baptized. If you guys would head on back, I'm going to... We're going to bring the plane in for a landing here. Is that all right? I didn't mean to start talking. Here's what he says, and this is so awesome. I want to encourage you and leave you with this. Listen to me. If you're serving God, if you are following hard after God, listen to me. It says this, we will live forever. You will escape the second death. If we don't get, if we're still here when Jesus comes and we'll be caught up with him, if you go by way of the grave, that's the first death. But there's a second death for those who don't know Jesus Christ. The promise is we will live forever. And then, secondly, it says we will dwell with him forever. You're not only going to live forever, church, you are going to dwell. We will dwell literally in the presence of God. The New Jerusalem, it says it doesn't need light because God is its light. And we shall see God face to face. We will live forever. We will dwell forever. And listen, I don't understand all the in and outs of this. I, again, I don't understand all the nuances of this. I don't understand exactly how this works. But we will also rule with Him forever. Paul said to the Corinthian church, he said, Do you not know that you're going to judge angels? And I read that and I'm like, No! Paul, I didn't know that. We will rule with Him. We will live with Him. We will dwell with Him for eternity. 
when you stand before Jesus, when you get to that other side and you have endured trials, you have kept faithful to His Word no matter what the culture said. And again, the culture is going to become increasingly, not just ambivalent, it's going to become increasingly... The hatred that the enemy comes down with in the last days is something that he's going to unleash against the people of God. Do I have any people of God in the house? Then we need to strengthen, as he said, the weak places. We need to ask God to breathe new life upon our families and our lives and the people of God. The king speaks by his spirit to us in the church. He says, anyone who has ears to hear what the spirit says. So Jesus is walking. Jesus is walking amongst His church. We see that in Revelation 1.20. He's standing in the midst of the seven lampstands. He's standing in the middle of His church. And maybe bow your head with me for just a moment. Maybe the part, maybe the part that you needed to hear is the, is the praise, is the encouragement. You, you may have come in here. One thing that I know, church, about everybody in this room is we are overwhelmed and we're under-encouraged. It's the truth. Jesus knows this, so... To the churches, he always, most of them, he gave them a, a praise. Maybe you needed to hear that. Maybe, maybe you needed to hear, you're doing better than you think. Though a righteous man falls seven times, though the Lord lifts him up. Listen, you're looking at a man, if it wasn't for God's grace and mercy and him lifting me up time after time, I wouldn't be here. He's been so good to me. God is for you. God loves you. God is pursuing you. And God is relentless maybe you needed to hear the rebuke part maybe you needed to hear the truth of God's word that if you're living in known disobedience I'm not talking about you you know you said something in a moment of anger to your wife or to your repent of that quickly I think that we can judge our spiritual lives and even our churches about how long it takes us to repent because repentance is something that I walk in daily I I ask the Lord daily, daily, God, how did I do on the road out there? And he'll bring different, different, uh, different interactions and different things I thought and different things that my heart began to attach to all throughout the day. And listen, before I lay my head on the pillow at night, I want a clean slate before God. So I want to ask that question as we have our heads bowed. God spoke to you about something in your life that he wants you to lay down in this service today. Just shoot your hand up. God challenged you with something, the way that you're living in some way, some form, some fashion. Amen. Holy Spirit, we bless that conviction. And church, I want you to know something from my heart to yours. The enemy condemns. And when you're condemned, you have no way out. God convicts. That conviction is sweet and it's true. And we should invite the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives continually so that we can lay down what he's calling us to lay down maybe you needed to hear as you're enduring through a trial maybe you're enduring through sickness in your body and it just seems like it's just going on and on and getting worse and worse i want i want to encourage you that your god is for you today he sees your faithfulness he sees that you continue to get up and keep your heart stayed upon him to focus on him and ultimately the rewards. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, before I go back to baptize, I want to ask this question. Who in this room says, I know it's my time this morning. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Not tomorrow, not next week, 
Tomorrow is promised to nobody in this room, church. Nobody in this room is a promise to. And you say, I've got to get my life right with God. Would you shoot your hand up wherever you are this morning? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, I hear your voice calling to me. I ask you today that you would wash me of my sins. I turn away from the world and I cling to you. Father, I pray that you would cleanse me, change my heart. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again and it is seated in heaven. I call upon that name today. Father, save me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.